0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.
2: This special episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by me, Period Care for the Modern Woman.
3: Hello everybody and welcome to a special new podcast series called That Time of the Month. This is an ongoing partnership between Afterwork Drinks us and our friends over at Me. Me is a period care brand designed by and for the modern day woman.
2: A recurring theme that crops up whenever we speak to you guys is the shame that so many women have around their bodies. Whenever we field questions from you there are dozens about reproductive health, hormones, sex, periods and mental health. All the things that are still weirdly considered too taboo to talk about.
3: Which is why we've partnered up with me on this new series, which will be exploring some of your most asked questions about the female body while also talking to some very remarkable women who make up the me collective. So we'll be bringing you a new episode of that time of the month every fortnight for the next six weeks, and we'll be opening up discussions about women's health in our closed Facebook group, Afterwork Drinks Podcast, and through our Instagram account at After Work Drinks Podcast, where you can ask us questions, we'll be DMing with you, and we'll just be opening up the floodgates, so to speak, about this topic.
2: Pun intended. Yes. Um, <laughs> this week, we are talking about the relationship between hormones and mental health. So when we were doing the research for this episode, we were both really shocked by how much we didn't know about hormones. Honestly, we just didn't even know what they were, except for the fact that they make my skin really, really bad, and how (laughs) they relate to depression and anxiety, but also a bunch of other things that affect women's physical health.
3: Yes. So let's start by talking about periods. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) What was your first experience with learning about periods or having your own period
2: uh I remember I went to a co-ed high school until I was 15 and then I was moved to girls only and I remember at the co-ed high school um the conversation around getting your period was just so much different it was girls were so scared to talk about any of it I got my period when I was 13 and I feel like I had no discussion Prior with my mum or with any adult woman in my life. Uh, on Wednesday's episode, we mentioned a boy called Stephen who <laughs> made me give up being a Catholic. <laughs> but I was friends with his cousin, and we'd all gone away for the for a summer holiday, and I was staying at the same house he was staying at, and I got my period while we were there, and I remember running into the bathroom. And having absolutely no idea what to do. So I had to um, shout out to my friend and she came into the bathroom and she'd already had her period before. And she gave me a tampon and said, put this inside you. Which and is I was like, so scary when you're that age. You're like, what? Yeah, I just looked at it and I was like, I have no idea. And I think it was an applicator tampon, which honestly, to this day, I still don't know how to use. it's so scary. it's so scary, yeah. and it's all they have in the US. Yeah, is it? Yeah, mm. yeah. I, when I, I when I was in the US, um, I was actually talking to a friend who's Canadian born, and she was so shocked that we just stick our fingers up there <laughs> instead of using an applicator. She thought it was she thought it was like crazy. But um, it was an applicator and I just couldn't, for the life of me, work out how to use it. It was hurting. Um, I was confused. And so I just put a bunch of toilet paper on my underwear and walked back out of the bathroom. Waddled back out of the bathroom.
3: So I remember the first time I found found out about periods was early. I was really young. It was in the now infamous apple muffin conversation with my mom when i was nine and i was asking her what porn was and then i think she just went for it and told me everything and as soon as i found out what periods were, i was desperate to get one because i just thought it made me it would make me feel so grown up and i used to this is really embarrassing and i'm only just remembering this but i used to insist to my mom that I had my period when I hadn't got it yet so I could like have tampons and pads and I would wear pads to school sometimes when I just didn't have my period that's Um, so
2: funny that's kind of like when you really you're desperate to shave your legs because you just think it makes you a grown-up I was
3: exactly like that I used to steal her razor and shave my legs um and my mom wouldn't let me shave my legs and I remember um I did it anyway and I didn't know what to do so I used to go up and down and I used to have like gashes all over my, oh my legs God, all the time. You still it's do. So chaotic, yeah. Um, but then when I first when I first got my period, I was 13 as well, and I was so so excited. I remember waking up the next day being like, "I am a woman now." And um, it happened when I was watching Grey's Anatomy.
2: Gosh, don't you just wish you could go back? And but those are the days. <laughs> I remember days falling asleep the...
3: and being so thrilled. I was like, "Finally, I have it!"
2: Really? Um, it was kind of a thing
3: at our school, I think, where. I was exactly the same as you. I went to co ed school and I got taken out for being naughty and put in an all girls school when I was fifteen.
2: That's so funny. What? Same. Yeah, I didn't it's weird. Know that.
3: Yeah. And we um but I think the girls that I was friends with, it was like we all wanted to be grown up. So the you know you know how there was always like the cool girl always had a period when she was like eight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and had massive knockers when she was twelve. Yeah. It was kind of that vibe. So it's interesting because I think there was more so shame in the school environment because we both went to religious schools um and there was like that weird hang up about tampons how you shouldn't use tampons because you might break your hymen or whatever and it was Mm, that was kind of a conversation in our school where we're encouraged to use pads and i think we just the first time i used a tampon i was the same i didn't know how to use it i didn't unfurl the string and i thought i was gonna have to go to the hospital because i was just trapped Mm. um But yeah, I think the shame came more from no one in your family wanting to talk about it or just feeling awkward about it or even just the way I think about how our parents' generation were with like hiding tampons and not being so open about them.
2: Yeah, I'm quite surprised my mum never had a conversation with me about it. But I actually saw a study the other day that said, um, I just Googled it to find it again because I was so shocked at the time, that schoolgirls take an average of three days off per term because of period-related issues and shame. And that was the most common reason for them to be absent above being sick, going on holiday, and wagging schools. This is a study that was done in the UK. That's Um, crazy. Yeah, and half of British girls have witnessed people at school being bullied and shamed about their period, and nearly half of girls said boys tease or joke about periods. There was another stat that I can't find for the life of me but it was something along the lines of girls would rather maybe it was literally this girls would rather miss a day of school than than ask for a tampon
3: yeah right which is so crazy even the fact I think that I was never you're you're left to figure out so much on your own like I was never taught how regularly to change a tampon or Mm. like how much you would need per month or that it was okay if you had to go every hour if you needed to it didn't matter like I feel like so much of it was just waiting my way through being confused for so long yeah and like just being so embarrassed i remember once i was i remember i remember always being so scared that it had leaked in class and that i would stand up and have a period like mark same on my skirt
2: yeah which is crazy i remember
3: it's like something you have so much fear about that just never happens in real life (laughs)
2: You know yeah, what I mean? I know. I can't even think of whether it has ever I think it has happened to me, but I can't think of when. Yeah, I remember at Athletics Day or swim yes. swim days. Because you just have no idea. Like at the time you're like, does a tampon work in water when you're swimming in a pool? Exactly. And what boys? if it doesn't Imag-
3: imagine imagine <laughs> being oh my god, I was in love with a boy called Dylan at my school. And he <laughs> Dylan, was a is swimmer.
2: It? Dylan's such a naughty name. Such
3: a naughty no- he was he had like literally six brain cells and he mm. was just like Ugh. actually
2: i was in love <laughs> with the boy called damien which is <laughs> similar damien. and he had a long um his hair was like super long that's and funny um done in a plait
3: that's crazy oh, dylan's yeah. nickname was fish because he was a swimmer and then i i just remember being at the swimming carnival and i was his girlfriend and was like
2: and you were his girlfriend yes yeah, nice. but we didn't do anything i don't even think we patched i didn't talk to any of my boyfriends until i turned about 14 one time i I dated one for so long because it was like the whole summer break but we didn't speak once and then we got back to school and he dumped me by when i was sharpening my pencil
3: (laughs) i went out with a boy in year seven called tim cartwright and he was literally so much shorter than me like (laughs) like a crazy amount shorter than me like a head and a half shorter than me um and i Broke up with him via email on the school holidays. Email, yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. And he was like, "Fuck you" on the email
2: back. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you! It's because I'm short, isn't it? I was like, no. <laughs> um, okay, shall we delve into? We've actually done some research for this episode, you guys. Believe
3: it or not, we've done a, a lot of research. I'd say we're yes. basically scientists now.
2: Yes. Um, should we delve into what a hormone actually is? Because I have still to this day I'm quite um, embarrassed to say absolutely no knowledge. I feel I feel as though us as women just have no knowledge of what's actually going on in our bodies at any given time. Like no. still I'll just be so shocked when I get my period. I'm like, oh, is oh. it that time again? I didn't
3: know women had testosterone until I
2: only know that because of my hormonal acne.
3: Yeah. Until researching yeah. this.
2: yeah, I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <you're laughs> yeah. nearly 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. What are hormones? Hormones are chemical messengers produced in the body that control and regulate the activity of certain cells or organs. The human body produces hundreds of hormones, but the following four have very direct influence on mental health. Thyroid, which regulates your energy. Estrogen, which moderates your mood. Progesterone, which is a natural anti-anxiety hormone. And testosterone, which affects your motivation, sex drive, and physical health. Okay, so basically if you menstruate
3: your menstrual cycle is totally regulated by those hormones fluxing in and out over a 28 or so day cycle, um, which again, didn't know. So the hormones (laughs) are basically, I don't want to bore you guys with the technical scientific details, but progesterone and estrogen specifically work to promote ovulation and stimulate the ovaries, which leads to you being fertile to get pregnant, basically. So that's basically what happens in your menstrual cycle and the way that those hormones ebb and flow has a really direct impact on your mental health. And I think lots and lots of people who menstruate don't realize that they're going through this cycle every 30 days of their moods going up and down and they don't know why. Mm. And then when you understand it, you're like, oh, this is why I feel like this, this. makes
2: sense. Yeah. So if you know exactly what's happening in any given month, you can understand why on one day, you feel like you really want to go out and socialize. And on other days, you feel like you just want to crawl into bed. And on other days, you feel super short-tempered and grumpy. And other days... Like, it, it's so funny when you consider the fact that we don't monitor this. Yeah, because it's
3: massive. It impacts so much. So we looked it up and we broke down, based on all the different things we read, what an average kind of cycle looks like for a person that menstruates. So on day one of your cycle, which is the day that you get your period... Your estrogen levels are at the lowest they're ever going to be in a month. So you have no energy and you feel totally unmotivated. And then over the first week, your estrogen levels slowly start to rise. So you'll feel slightly more motivated until week two of your cycle, which is when estrogen and progesterone are like skyrocketing. So you feel energetic and excitable. And then towards the end of that week, your testosterone level shoots up. So your sex drive shoots up and you want to have sex.
2: Yeah, and that's also when you're ovulating. So you're ovulating um, like 12 to 14 days after your period has finished. So most fertile then, are everybody, whether you're trying to get pregnant or avoid it.
3: And then week three, your hormone levels start to balance out. So everything's kind of in equilibrium for the only time in a month, which is awful. <laughs> one week of us
2: being harmonious harmonious, angels.
3: which makes t- total sense to me and then in week four your estrogen testosterone and progesterone are all taking a sharp nose dye and that's what pms is so you've got these three, three different right. hormones that are like going ebbing in and out working chaotically with each other and depending on where they're at in your body it totally affects your mood and productivity
2: and then you and then you get your period and it all starts again and then it all starts again yeah, and so the lack of estrogen also means that you sleep less because you're getting less sleep-regulating serotonin, which is an extra reason that you feel shit during that time and the week leading up to your period. Yeah, because I'm always the moodiest. I'm always really moody about a week out from my period. And on those days, sometimes I feel like an actual monster.
3: Yes, I and I will make furious. such a huge deal out of nothing or I'll do things that have actual like long-term effects on my life where I'll just drastically want to quit a job or <laughs> yeah. want to fight with someone or yeah. like pick a fight with Zach or I'm trying to think of examples but I feel like in those periods as well I'm just not even like thinking super rationally or clearly
2: yeah and yeah you you're not thinking rationally or clearly or you're just kind of you're just'm I'm, I'm just so angry and built up yeah and, and like and I'm always like God why do I feel like this why do I feel so shit and then I get my period four days later and i'm like well if you just knew that was happening then maybe it would make your life a bit easier on that day that you want to go around and murder everyone
3: exactly and you'd be nicer to yourself i feel as if so much of what we do as women is beating ourselves up for feeling the way we do for feeling like oh i can't why can't i get motivated this week why am i so lazy everyone else is doing all these amazing things why aren't i doing anything Mm. And there's a physical scientific reason why you can't be motivated. And if we kind of had that tracked out and understood that that's how it worked, we would be so much kinder to ourselves. Why isn't this taught at school? Why isn't this... This is like the most basic thing that we should be aware of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as women. Yeah. yeah. It's just so, so, so insane.
2: This was also just so shocking. So in an essay for Metro, um, a journalist wrote about the link between hormones and mental health, revealing that 64% of women who suffer from depression say their depression gets noticeably worse in the week before their period.
1: Yeah,
3: which is, that's like massive because if there was any other thing that happened that we knew drastically made people who suffered from clinical depressions, depression worse once a month, we would look at things to stop that happening. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: There are many studies linking hormones to mental health problems These relate mainly to mood disorders like depression, but there's evidence to show that other illnesses like schizophrenia can also be affected by hormonal changes.
3: Yes, and there's studies that show that women are twice as likely to suffer from depression than men are, which many scientists think reaffirms a link between female hormones and mental health,
2: Mm.
3: which is fascinating.
2: Yeah, it's so fascinating. Even anxiety and panic attacks and panic disorders can be triggered in the premenstrual period um because of these fluctuating hormones it's it's wild but when your hormones are healthy you feel vibrant and energetic and when they're not when they're off you're off
3: so this is a great quote we're going to include all of the um studies and stories that we're referencing in the notes for this um episode so you can read them in more detail but basically a a theme throughout all of this is the fact that when your hormones are off you are off in the sense that it completely affects the way that your brain is like transmitting information and it's affecting everything to do with your life. So it changes the way that you think and feel in very, in what can be very negative ways. It makes you more vulnerable to conditions like anxiety and depression. And if nobody checks your hormone levels, you might not know that it's the root cause of your issues. So you might be looking to blame lots of other factors when it's kind of down to this single scientific thing that you can actually go to a doctor, get tested for and get fixed
2: i think every single woman should be tested to see what their hormone levels are because Mm. and it's it's so frustrating because every woman deals with these hormonal issues and every woman's body is different so that's why hormonal acne for example is so hard to cure because every woman's testosterone and estrogen levels are a little bit different and it's like it's like it's so hard for them to figure out exactly how to cure it
3: exactly and I think it speaks to that thing we've talked about in the podcast before where people's lack of information about hormones leads them to beat themselves up about things they shouldn't beat themselves up about like you've said before how you feel or have felt that People might look at you having hormonal acne as you not mm. investing in the right skincare or not putting like effort into... Or just
2: not looking after, look, not eating right. Yeah,
3: not looking after yourself in this in this way, which would lead you to feel down on yourself and have self-esteem problems and things when it's literally just a scientific imbalance that you should have been told about when you were really young so you could manage it. Mm. It's just crazy to me that women kind of have to Google around and just figure out these really basic things
2: Yeah. on their own. Yeah. I've gone to like really expensive dermatologists, I've had blood tests and everything, and it just can't figure itself out. It's crazy.
3: <laughs> um, so something I found really interesting as well, we did some research on PMS. So PMS is premenstrual syndrome, and I think upwards of ninety percent of women say that they experience some symptoms of PMS, whether it's just irritability and moodiness or bloating or skin issues or whatever um but eight percent of women actually suffer from a more serious condition called premenstrual dysphoric disorder pmdd which is similar to pms but has much more severe symptoms including severe depression so a lot of women are taught to kind of write off pms's moodiness but if it's getting to a level where it's like truly genuinely affecting your ability to do things, your personal relationships, your ability to work. It could actually be a, a mental health disorder that you need to have diagnosed and be treated for.
2: Yeah. And it's so crazy that we aren't taught that. And we're also not taught. I didn't learn what endometriosis was until I was like 27.
3: Yeah. I sort of really know what
2: it is. It's, it's basically <laughs> when you have, a disorder in which tissue similar to the tissue that forms in the lining of your uterus grows outside of your uterine cavity. So it makes when you get your period, it makes the pain in your stomach unbearable. But also you can you can have pain in your lower tummy um during or after sex randomly. But it's basically girls at school who would have period pains so bad that they couldn't get out of bed or they were like their cramps would stop them on the street and they would be that actually happened to me for a weird while yeah Where right. my period pain would get so bad that i would i'd be like hunched over on the side of the street oh my god um but endometriosis affects one in ten women which is like 176 million women in the world and we we're not taught about that so when Girls at school had really, really severe period pains. So they probably just thought they needed to get over it or people think that they're Yeah, people being think you're being a
3: wuss, which is just worse. The, the worst thing. It's that thing of women's pain being invalidated is such a massive thing because I think we are just taught that if we're going through something like that, it's like, oh, period cramps, everyone deals with period cramps. I remember even in school, I'm not proud of this, but there would be girls who would take... Two or three days off school for period cramps, and we'd be like, "Come on, how bad can period cramps be?" Yeah. You know, because we just didn't even understand there was a spectrum of yeah. how bad it could feel.
2: Yeah, my sisters are my sisters are really, really, really bad. Actually, I won't see if she has been. I don't know if you can, can you get tested for endometriosis. Um, yeah, I wonder if she's thought about whether she has endometriosis. We're so excited
3: to be partnering with Me to bring you these special episodes which are focused on women's health.
2: Me is the new modern period care brand that has been designed to be displayed proudly and openly on your shelf, not hidden away. Me is committed to championing a new narrative around period care through empowering campaigns, collaborations and charity partnerships, holding space for all people with periods and the issues that are important to them.
3: Through the Me Collective, a group of empowered and empowering women, three of whom we're talking to on this podcast, me is bringing a spotlight to topics from periods to pregnancy, miscarriages to menopause, hormones to holistic health.
2: Mii is vegan, dermatologically tested and free of synthetic dyes, fragrances and chlorine and Mia's unique hybrid design consists of a considered blend of certified and sustainably sourced 100% organic cotton and performance-based synthetic material, showcasing the very best combination of form and function. Plus, Me's pads and liners have a biodegradable sleeves and all products have recyclable cardboard exterior packaging.
3: In addition to all this, Me is committed to ensuring every person who needs access to period care products can do so and is working alongside Kids Can in an effort to help alleviate period poverty in New Zealand.
2: Plus, also of importance, it is very, very chic.
3: Find out more at mecollective.com.
2: Another thing that is super connected to mental health disorders is um, suffering from irregular periods. So studies have shown that women with anxiety or substance use disorder are more likely to have shorter menstrual cycles. So cycles that are shorter than 24 days and that irregular cycles are also linked to eating disorders and depression while women with bipolar disorders are also twice as likely to have irregular periods. Um, It's so fascinating. So it's like the connection between
3: like all the connection between a lot of serious mental health disorders and the way that your body actually processes hormones are like super, super connected.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's It's literally like the body keeps the score, which is a book we've both been reading on and off for months about how, uh, mental, how mental health can show in the body. Stresses and anxieties can actually become a physical ailment in the body. It's, um, so
3: wild. So we've actually touched on this a couple of times in the past on this podcast, because Izzy, it's something that you've been particularly interested in. Um, But the connection between mental health and hormonal imbalance is really massive. So even if there's a tiny amount of Even if there's a tiny amount of too much or too little of a certain hormone in your bloodstream, it can have really big major effects on your body. So things like sudden weight gain or weight loss, fatigue, stretch marks, cystic acne, or painful sex. And it can also have really drastic mental side effects as well, like extreme nervousness, anxiety, or severe depression. So what do you know about hormone imbalances? Because you kind of researched it personally.
2: I just basically know from going to... Yeah, the dermatologist and the doctor about cystic acne, um, because I didn't have any acne at all until I got to maybe 24 or something. And then the dermatologist, when I went to her, was just basically like, you just have an imbalance in your hormones. And I was like, okay, well, what can we do? What is that? Yeah, Yeah, what is that? What does that mean? What can we do? And she put me on this round of antibiotics plus topical treatments and nothing worked. Um, And I think it just, as I was saying just before, varies between every different woman. So it's really hard for them to figure out exactly how to fix it. Um, But that's, I think, why so many women take the contraceptive pill because Mm. the contraceptive pill can balance out your hormones, which then fixes your skin. So the one that I was taking, I think, had... Lower levels of testosterone, or something, Mm -hmm. and then that balanced out my skin. And then since I've been off that, it's gone haywire again.
3: And it's so interesting because it can, because your hormones are so delicate. I think the reason that the pill is so polarizing is that it can kind of move your hormones into equilibrium, Mm. or it can shift them out of equilibrium, which I think we've both talked about. Like for me, I found when I was on the pill, um, I felt really crazy I felt I found it really hard to get in control of my moods I found myself feeling the most kind of depressed and anxious I felt in my whole life and I think there was other factors going on
2: but I had that on my first pill yeah that contributed
3: yeah. to that but I also think that I didn't really ever have I mean me and Izzy have said this in the podcast before and we'll say it again like we are in no position to advocate whether the pill is good or bad or we can do a speak to our own experiences but I, I didn't have a doctor who kind of sat down with me and said, okay, if this is not working for your mood, let's look at all of these other options. I also didn't go in and ask for that, but I think it just speaks to how little we, like, we don't have the vocabularies to know these things. If I'd have even known then that the reason I was feeling the way I was was because my hormones were out of whack and that the pill was putting my hormones out of whack in one way and that a different pill could put them in another way, I would have felt less scared by it. And now I have this ongoing fear of ever going on oral contraception again because I had such a bad experience.
2: Yeah, I know. I changed pills because mine was making me feel crazy, but it's it's also such a um kind of strange thing that we're we we go on the pill usually for the first time when we're 15 years old or 16 mm. years old and we're just going through all of these hormonal changes in our body. Um we're we're becoming Women really like we're getting our periods, we're um, growing, we're changing, and then we're put on the pill, which is meant to just balance out and regulate our hormones. And then suddenly we're on that for years and years and years and years. And then when we come off them, aged whatever, I was twenty eight or twenty nine. I was on them when we talked. I was on it when we last when we did an episode about the contraceptive pill. And I actually only mm-hmm. came off it because I moved to. When I went to LA, I ran out, tried to get it there. They didn't have it. And then since I've been here, it's been coronavirus and I cannot get it because the doctor they're actually supposed to call me today and they just haven't because of um, the pandemic. But then you come off it and then all of these things go crazy. So it's like it just, yeah.
3: And in an upcoming episode, we've got an interview with someone really fascinating who talks about the fact that the pill sometimes like masks hormone imbalances that you have it's not fixing them it's just covering them up until you come off it and then everything feels nuts because your body's been kind of masking this issue for a long time um so something we realized as well in our research is that hormone imbalances if you have kind of symptoms either mentally or physically of hormone imbalance you should really get it checked out because it can sometimes be a sign of either premature menopause that your contraceptive Uh, that your contraceptive pill isn't working or a sign of pcos which is called polycystic ovary syndrome um so if you're kind of suffering mentally or physically as a result of what feels like it could be a hormone imbalance you should really go and see a doctor and insist on getting to the root of the problem i think a really common theme with women who have ended up getting diagnosed with endo or pcos or other um kind of reproductive health focused diagnoses is that they've often had to go back again and again and again mm. because they're told not to worry about it or it's not a big deal or whatever. And it's you kind of unfortunately have to be dogged because um, a lot of the time doctors are kind of either trained. Or, or to, they're really rushed. Yeah. you go yeah. to see a
2: GP and you're booked in for five minutes with them.
3: Yeah. And back. if you say, I feel anxious, you know, people are like, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, if you just say my
2: hormones feel out of whack, it's just such a broad thing for them to deal mm. with that they just can't be bothered or just don't have the time. Not yeah I
3: don't fully understand it it's like the, the it's like how we talked to noelle about adhd and she said that when so many doctors that or gps that we see now went to medical school adhd wasn't even recognized as being a condition that girls could have so yeah. obviously it's not going to spring to mind when they talk to a young woman who's like saying the symptoms and i feel like there's a lot of new understanding we have about women's reproductive health that a lot of a GP in their fifties or sixties would just not even necessarily be across. So don't give up.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue Nile.com. You can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door.
2: We wanted to talk a little bit more about the relationship between hormones, mental health, and physical health. So we asked Olympic athlete pole vaulter Eliza McCartney to join us on this week's episode. Eliza is a Kiwi just like me, but unlike me, at 19 years old, she'd already won her first Olympic medal. Not only was Eliza due to represent New Zealand at Tokyo earlier this year, which unfortunately has been postponed until 2021, She's also studying environmental science and has a huge involvement in the sustainability space. Basically, she's a legend. We talked to Eliza about being an elite athlete, harnessing your menstrual cycle to excel physically, why it is that so many young women drop sport when they hit puberty, and how she's balanced pushing her body to its limits while also dealing with the usual teenage girl issues like body shame, period shame, and mental health. You're going to love this conversation, so we're going to pass it along to Eliza now
3: hi Hello. we're very jealous you're in New Zealand yeah Yeah, I am
2: (laughs) where are you guys so lucky hauled up in London for another lockdown
4: that's so frustrating I can't even imagine you guys have had it pretty rough
2: um so firstly we just wanted you to please just tell us a bit about what you do um because it's such a like cool career path um and how you first got into pole vaulting when you were younger
4: I know, it's a question I get asked all the time, and it's totally a fair enough question because it is not the most normal sport out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you uh, who don't know, pole vault, I find it the best way to describe it is like high jump with a pole. So we just run down a runway with a really long pole, we put it underground, it bends, and we use that to jump over a bar. So it is a bit random, um, but I didn't start it like really young. Like, you know, I, I did normal sports when I was younger. I did, um, a lot of netball, um, basketball, swimming, cross country. Like I, I basically did like any sport that came my way. I was like, yep, yeah, I want to try that. And so athletics was very much just the same concept to me. I was like, oh yeah, I want to try that. And I really loved high jump, the actual high jump. And I just loved the jumping aspect. And I think that's why I loved. um, netball as well because I love the being able to jump up and, and sit balls and, and that sort of stuff so um, I started doing high jump and then because of that and I was competing I saw a pole vault at competitions and I was about 13 at the time and I just thought oh, I want to try that one now and so um, I just gave it a go and I, I just never stopped really and it just kind of keeps almost snowballing in a way to the point, you know, like halfway through high school, it was starting to pick up a bit. I went to some international competitions. I had dropped my other sports because pole vault was kind of taking up a lot of time and I, you know, I couldn't risk injury and all of those sorts of things. Um, And then the last year of school, I went to World Junior Championships, which is under 20. um, And I won the bronze medal. And so that was Wider, a big step up um in terms of kind of pushing me into looking at professional sports rather than a more traditional career and it's not something that I ever um kind of aspired to I didn't you know see athletes or professional sports people and be like you know I want to do that one day it wasn't even something that kind of crossed my mind as like a career I was um really into science at school and I really wanted to study medicine at university. So I um, had this kind of decision on my hands when we got to um, the end of school, um, whether to follow the kind of career that I always thought that I really really wanted to do um, and that was to go to university and try and study medicine or just do something like that and or was I going to try and be a professional athlete Um, and it was a hard decision but thankfully things went really well after that for me and um, in my second year out of school I went to the Olympics and I won the bronze medal so that really skyrocketed in my career <laughs> and it made a really big difference and since then I've um, competed at world championships, Commonwealth Games um, and you know I've, I've turned it into career, which is um, really crazy because it's just not something I saw myself doing but it's it's a really amazing opportunity and we get a lot of incredible opportunities like getting to travel usually, not this year, but it's um, it's been really interesting and I'm, I'm really enjoying it.
3: And the Olympics is quite insane in terms of career goals to tick off. Can you explain what the experience of actually going was like? Was it was it quite daunting?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, I was only 19 when I went and people don't expect really anything from you certainly when you're younger and also at your first olympics you know it was it was still it was (laughs) i mean it's a really hard thing to describe i was just so elated the whole time i was there i was so happy and so excited and you know just everything was exciting like the weather and the fact you get to walk to the food hall and you catch your bus to the training it's it's not that exciting but at the same time it is and so I, i was just so happy to be there and that's kind of what really helped me in the competition. It meant that I was relaxed because I was so stoked just to be there. The first thing I had to do was qualify. So when you're at the games in, in athletics events, certainly you have qualifying competition first and then they take the top uh, 12 or so and they take them to the final and then that's, that's the final. And so you've always got to get through the qualifying first before the final. And I had a really rocky qualifying, like, I mean, I've got got a really bad history of qualifying events. I tend to do not well at all and just somehow sneak through. And that's basically what I did in Rio. I had my first height, so just a little bit of background. Um, You get three attempts at every height. And you choose the heights you want to do and you can pass heights. um, But you have to clear it within three attempts. And the opening height, something that was really easy for me, I started, I uh, did my first attempt and it didn't go well, but I was like, two more attempts, I feel confident on this. And then I did my second attempt and it really didn't go well. And I was like, right, <laughs> I'm on my third attempt at the Olympic Games. I'm about to no height at my very first Olympic Games. And I kind of found it kind of funny in a way. It was just, I was really happy to be there it was my first Olympics. And I was like, you know what, it's okay. Like, I actually, I think I had a laugh myself on the runway because I went to my third attempt, I ran halfway down the runway, then I walked back again and went again. So it was a complete disaster, but I actually managed to clear it and then I went much better after that. So the fact that I got to the final, I was just so happy, just so happy. I thought like, you know, anything that I achieve from here is a massive win. Because I didn't even expect to get into the final, and so during the final, every time I was bumped up a place to like eleventh, and then tenth, and then ninth, I was like, "This is so great!" <laughs> and I really just felt like such a naive underdog, and really did not expect to medal. But I think that attitude is what kind of gave me an advantage in a way. I wasn't—I was ner- like I was really nervous, but not in a um, detrimental <laughs> way. It was more just you know, the nerves are giving me adrenaline and I'm so stoked to be here and I'm just going to have fun. And I think that's what kind of really helped me. And so it wasn't daunting as such. It was more like the nerves and the adrenaline you get from being in a situation like that really, really helped me. So um, that was pretty cool, but I don't know if it's going to happen again
3: because now that I've been to an Olympic. That's amazing. And it's interesting that you said that um, a psychologist is kind of part of that key team because, I think anyone who does sport at such an elite level is obviously aware of the fact that it's very much related to your mental health as well as your physical health. Um, do you have any kind of coping strategies to deal with anxiety or um, just any issues, fear around performing? Yeah.
4: I um, When you first start, well, when I first started and I was only 13 years old, you know, you just don't really have any fear and you, and you also don't really care. There's a lot of just, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have even gone through puberty yet. It was just very much just excitement and fun. And I think that carried me for quite a while. But when I, I think it was my first year out of school, um, I really came face-to-face with the psychological, um, you know, problems that can come up with being an athlete. And I really struggled most of that year. And to give some background, I guess, um, I don't know how well it is to visualize for people but in pole vault you've got to run down the runway with a pole put it in the ground jump up into the air and so if you can't make yourself put the pole in the ground and jump then obviously you can't get even close to clearing a butt you can't do anything and so a lot of pole vaulters experience run through issues every now and then or, or once in their career or whatever it is where they just can't make themselves put the pole on the ground and jump up to the air so Basically what happens is you run down the runway and you just end up running onto the mat. Um, And there's so many reasons why that could happen. And I think for me, when I was really struggling with this in my first year out of school, it was, I think, because the year before I'd won my bronze medal at the World Juniors and suddenly I was a little bit more known in New Zealand and certainly in the sporting world. And I think without me realising that put a lot of pressure, I probably did, I was the one that put the pressure on myself. And felt a real need to achieve, and that is what really really made me struggle that year and I couldn't take off I couldn't compete I couldn't train and it was um, really awful because it went on for months and months and months and so I really had to learn <laughs> or work out a way of getting out of this
0: mm-hmm.
4: and yeah as I said before I have a psychologist as part of my team and so of course I worked really closely with him during that time and I work with them all the time anyway, but that was really hard because I didn't really know how to deal with it. And in the end, it came back to the enjoyment. And I found that a lot throughout my career so far is that you have to be enjoying it. You have to want to be doing what you're doing every day. And that, I think, in the end is what got me through that particular period where I was just completely struggling. I mean, I was terrified to go to training because I'd get there and I'd just run through and so I really had to work out, you know, if this is going to happen again, how do I fix it? And so we really went back to the basics. I just went back to really short run ups, doing fun things in training and just prioritizing enjoying it. And that just kind of naturally allowed me to just get back into things a little bit smoother without any pressure. And I went on to compete at a, um, the World University Games, the one I was talking about earlier. And I got there and, just being in the village and with the people I'm about to compete against and kind of being a bit more in my element I guess Um, I just was so excited again and I could suddenly just take off it was it was just that quick like a light bulb had flipped in my head and I went on and I won the silver medal so that was a really bizarre Yeah, that was so bizarre but I have had similar things come up in Since then as well, running through is something that um, I've experienced quite a lot. And so I have learned some little tricks, I guess, over the years. But I think really the main thing is, one, to be enjoying what you're doing. But the other thing is also to have a bit of a wider purpose. And I know that can sound a little bit fluffy sometimes, but when I kind of really sat down and worked through the reasons why I was doing this, why I wanted to be an athlete, And really nailed those down and thought hard about them over months as well. That's when I had a shift in mindset that, you know, no, I've decided I'm doing this for these reasons. This is something important to me. I want to achieve this and this and this. And I had this whole purpose behind why I'm doing this. And that also gave me the motivation when things were getting tough again. And so that with enjoyment, I think, has been my two biggest things. To just get through, you know... The, the difficulties of being an elite athlete You do have mental challenges all the time and, and it also translates into life As well I think So I have felt kind of grateful in a way To have had those experiences Because you learn a lot about yourself That I might not have learned otherwise If I wasn't a professional athlete
2: so we have just been speaking earlier thinking about hormones and our mental health and um, like harnessing your cycle for productivity. Have you ever learned about your hormones and how different times of your cycle can impact your productivity or even um, the way you're you're able to, your body's able to work?
4: Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating area and it's, definitely coming to light a lot more I mean there's finally research coming out about it like people are finally researching these things and getting into it and I know the science is really young still so I guess that's part of the reason why I haven't fully dived into it but mm. I really love that it's um, something that's coming out a lot more and that women aren't being ignored and the fact that we're not just small men is one of my favorite quotes um, you know we are very different from men and our physiology is very different and so I'm really excited about that space something that I've been keeping a really close eye on and I know that there's other athletes that I train with who are starting to do that and they're finding it really um a really interesting experience I know one of them was saying to me just recently actually that she's found she's you know for the same part of your cycle I think it's the luteal phase at the beginning she said some people say that you know, you have to do all your strength training then, and then other ones say that you can't do anything then and I don't know what to do. So I think <laughs> it's still a confusing place for people to, to navigate at the moment. But at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it's more science is coming forward. And so I think in the future, it's going to be really a powerful tool for us.
2: Yeah, I was looking it up because um, we were looking at like the seasons of your cycle. So essentially they say winters when you have your period. Spring is when your period has stopped and you're in the run-up to ovulation is a time when it's really good to initiate exercise and when you are often able to hit your personal best for things. So we can just like try and get the Olympics at that specific time. We can pull some strings for Tokyo 2020
3: <laughs> yeah. whenever 2021.
4: Wouldn't that be cool if we could get all of the athletes on the same cycle? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, is that really loud?
2: Is it a dog? Cute.
4: <laughs> There's my dog. She's just she's um still adapting to the new house.
3: So a statistic we were really surprised to read recently, which was about the UK, but it seems from what we've read it's similar in New Zealand and Australia is that 14 tends to be the age that girls stop playing competitive sport and it's usually to do with um, hitting puberty and some shame that can come around, what's happening to their bodies at that time, how their bodies are changing, maybe wanting to cover up. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, either if you've experienced that with young girls that you've met or um, maybe advice you would have to young girls who are going through that kind of change?
4: Yeah, it's a really shocking statistic eh? and I, I think it is very similar in New Zealand I've certainly heard um, very similar comments about um, girls and sport and then real shame because sport can be such a way to enhance people's lives and it can really make a big difference for people's lives and so it's a it's something that I think really needs to be tackled and I'm sure a lot of it is do with um, menstruation and starting your period and not being sure if you should be training while you have a period and all of those sorts of things which you know you can do anything on your period if you want to and I think that's not necessarily communicated well especially when you're really young and so there's a lot of I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space in terms of encouraging women and showing them that you know giving them real life examples you know you can keep doing this and what I've really loved in New Zealand Sports, certainly recently is we have a lot of women achieving amazing things in New Zealand I think I think it was um the last Olympics we had more females than men I think in the in our team so we're you know we're having this really nice shift towards um female role models in sport and I meet a lot of kids who are so excited to meet me and it's really it's just it's the most inspiring thing and you know they want to pole vault and they want to go to the Olympics one day and it's just I think through example is a really great way to show girls that you you know if you enjoy sport you don't you know you just keep running with it don't don't stop don't stop if you enjoy it you have to just keep running with it and I know a lot of that um can be down to period poverty as well and not being able to afford necessarily the right um products to help you get through training maybe when when you've got really heavy periods or whatever it is and so I think there's there's a lot to work through and there's of course taboo as well there's a there's a lot that we, we that we need to make up for but I think um things are definitely trending in the right direction it's just um progress always feels slow but I do get really encouraged by talking to a young girls who are seeing us compete on the world stage and they're inspired. And then that inspires me. And it's this amazing um, thing to to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. We um we've been learning heaps about period poverty as well. It's like such a massive issue. Okay, finally, thank you so much for so much of your time. We just wanted to ask basically what advice you would give to your younger self and whether there's anything you felt embarrassed of at the time that you wish you didn't care so much about or anything you would handle differently now. What would you tell her?
4: I think the biggest thing would be not to worry about what people think of you <laughs> which,
2: is, which is such a
4: classic one especially for teenagers and, and you know when I was going through all of that one of the things that helped me with um, my mental game and, and how I tackled sport mentally was um, trying to care less about what other people thought about me and as I said earlier when I um, was having really strong mental issues um, after school and I thought it was from the pressure of starting to do well, a lot of that was because I was worried about what people think about me. And it took a really long time. Like, it's such a hard thing to do. You can't, like, right, I'm not gonna care anymore what people think of me. Like, you can't do that. You have to really work on it over time and be committed and say, no, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna keep working on this. I'm gonna, you know, really try hard to improve about how I see myself and how other people see me and, and not worrying about that. And certainly when I was a teenager I remember like trainings when I was you know I don't know I must have been maybe around 15 or something and back then for some reason I don't know if we didn't have strong role models um, in female sport back then or what it was but I just did not want abs I was like I, was like, I cannot have abs like it's so ugly it doesn't look feminine like or whatever it was and so every time We'd do these circuits that had ads in them I'll just kind of pretend I was doing them, which is so awful I, I still can't believe I used to do that and it's all just because you care what other people think and so I think especially as a teenager it's just I mean I can't even answer the question on how to really do that it's a commitment you have to make I think and you have to decide that you're going to go on this path of caring less over time but that's definitely the biggest thing that when I was younger was just a bit of a burden and I didn't really realize it at the time but it does hold you back I think and you don't go out and unleash yourself and do everything you wanted to
2: totally I'm the exact same still I know know yeah
3: I can't believe you didn't want abs you're like the opposite of me
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't do that I I don't do the
3: exercises because I'm lazy (laughs)
4: i think he just i think um there's a lot more advertising now of strong women and like that muscles are feminine as well and they're sexy and yeah yeah, exactly so i don't know if i was just not exposed to it or what it was but i was terrified of looking too muscular which is just ridiculous when you're 15 years old i mean yeah
2: (laughs) thank you so much for your time
3: yeah it's been so interesting to talk to you thank you for having me i've really enjoyed speaking to you guys Thank you so much for listening to this episode, guys. We're so excited for you to listen to this whole series and we will see you again in two weeks for another installment of that time of the month.
2: Please check in with us on our closed Facebook group, Afterwork Drinks Podcast and our Instagram account, Afterwork Drinks Podcast. DM us any questions you have, any comments you have, any funny period stories you may have um, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye.
0: Bye.